So it's amazing how, um, how stuff comes together sometimes. I preach about this a lot, but I want to talk to you a little bit about George first. Because there's some amazing things in that video that if you don't know the family, if you don't know the situation, you, you just watch it and think, that's a, nice, that's a nice thing. People become Christians all the time. They become Christians all the time in this church anyway. Happens often, right? And we have baptisms often. In fact, we've got a baptism in a few weeks' time. It's an amazing thing to celebrate. But until you know some of this story, you don't quite know how amazing that story is. I want to start with the young guy in the red t-shirt. The guy in the microphone that said, I baptise you in the name of the Father, the Son and the Holy Spirit. That was George's son. That was George's son who, 11 years old, was dropped off at my church at 10pm on a Friday night from a moving vehicle and a mother who screamed at me, it was either you or the police station. He's now training in the ministry in America. He's just back visiting his family now. When he came here to Power and Presence, I think it was in March, I was up there, I was having a great evangelical tool, by the way, because I am a proper vicar, obviously. Uh, we were in the pub having a few beers. And I said to George, some of the stuff that God had been doing in my life since I'd moved to Basel and some of the provision that God had provided. And I have invited George to about a million different things. And he's never said yes. He chose to say yes to the thing that meant he had to drive two and a half hours to it. When we did this stuff in rugby and he was two minutes away from his house, he always said no. But he said yes to this. And he came down here. It was actually his son who led him to the Lord. Me and Raj were too busy preaching and, and prophesying and doing what we were doing at the front. But when the Lord touched George just over here, just in his chair, he grabbed his son's hand in tears. And his son knew what to do. He brought him to the front and he led him to the Lord. That's a beautiful story. George himself, when we would meet, is one of the most intelligent men I know. His catchphrase was, I have read the Bible twice. I ain't judging anyone in this room. But I know that's more than some of you lot have. He had read his Bible twice. And it meant absolutely nothing to him. He didn't believe it. It was like a fairy tale. I used to say, but George, you're using the wrong glasses. When you use these glasses, they make no sense. When you put on your spiritual glasses, it makes sense. When he came to Basildon, he got his spiritual glasses. George asked a few people, Anthony doesn't know this, he'd get quite upset if he knew. George asked a couple of people to baptise him before he asked his son. The first person he asked was me, and I said, no, I need to be in Basildon, I'm sorry. And then he asked Alan, the big guy, the, the microphone, the guy who was prophesying, and he said no, because he's 70, he didn't want to get in the water, <laughs> in truth. So then he asked his son. When I watched that video, I didn't know it happened until I saw the video, I cried. Because that was absolutely the right thing to happen. For his son to baptise his father. Why do I say these things? Because we've got a baptism in a couple of weeks. Tom, where's Tom? Wave your hand, Tom. I'm going to embarrass you now. Tom's being baptised. <laughs> and we have a few others being baptised too, I hope. Uh, so that's going to happen on the 26th. If you want to be baptised, it looks just like that. Uh, the one we use is at Swanmead Church, so it's in the floor. It just looks a bit different, but it's still wet, it's still water, it still counts. Um, so I just wanted to take a little bit of time before we preach today to talk to you about baptism. I'm just going to read to you three different Bible verses uh, and a little bit of a synopsis at the end. So it just says, Matthew 28, 18 to 20, it says, All authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And I will be with you always, even to the end of the age. Now, for those of you who don't know, these were the literal last words of Jesus on earth. 
So he had already died. He had already gone and defeated Hades. He had already come back to life and spent some days with his disciples. But when he ascended to heaven, he didn't die again. When he ascended to heaven, these were the instructions that he gave his people. I've read read it to you out of Matthew later on. I'm going to read it to you out of Luke because it has a slightly different uh, wording. Different person wrote it. But our standing orders haven't changed. Our standing orders haven't changed. We are to proclaim the gospel everywhere we go. And when we do, people will get saved. And when they do, we baptise them. In fact, I went for dinner with George last night. We had a, a curry and I saw Anthony because he's back from America. And actually, there'd been a slight misunderstanding. It's okay and it doesn't change anything. But he thought the baptism was part of the salvation. He thought that when you got baptised, it meant you went to heaven. I said, it's, it's not wrong, but it's not right either. So because we know that you're saved literally by grace alone. So if you believe in your heart and confess with your lips that Jesus is Lord, I'm going to see you in heaven. So why do we do baptism? Because it's the first thing. It's the first step of obedience. If you've just given your life to somebody, if you if, if you use a better example, if you have children, they can tell you they love you all they want. But if they don't do what you ask them to do, if they don't obey you, how loved do you feel in that moment? I'm talking young children, I'm not talking annoying teenagers who are going to do the exact opposite of what you tell them because because they're teenagers. But one of the ways we show that we love people is we listen to them. And God is calling us to believe in our hearts, confess with our lips that Jesus is Lord, and then be baptised. So if you haven't been baptised, oh, oh, man, oh, I just want you to come and speak to me afterwards. It's not hard. It takes two seconds. You get wet. You get dry again. It's okay. It dries out. I'm a big guy. I'm strong. You're not going to drain. I'm going to pick you back up again. If you don't like water, it dries off. Acts 2. It's actually the one Alan talked about. They asked Peter, said, what should we do? Peter said, repent, each one of you, and baptized, be baptised in the name of Jesus for the forgiveness of all your sins. Repent, as I keep telling you, does not mean just to say sorry. It's a religious word, isn't it? Repent. We don't know for the real world. It doesn't just mean to say, oh, I'm sorry, God. It means, I'm sorry, God, and then turn your face back to God. It means that if I used to beat my wife, I can say sorry to my wife, but actually to repent, it means I have to stop beating my wife. For those of you who don't know me, I'm not married. It's an analogy. It's a, it's a story, okay? I don't beat my wife. But if I used to get drunk, if I used to take drugs, if I swore, if I was envious, if I was lustful, if I watched pornography, to say sorry is step one. But to turn my face back to God and to stop doing it is step two. And here Peter is saying, repent. Stop doing what you're doing. Turn your eyes back to God and then be baptised. I had to write this when I first came down here because of an argument I had with somebody. But he said, someone may object. And they might say, but I'm a shy person. I could never get up in front of all those people. But let me ask you this. Can you imagine a bride on her wedding day telling her fiancé, I really love you, but I am just too embarrassed to stand in front of all of those people and confess that I love you. Can you imagine? I didn't beat my wife because I don't have one. But if I did have one, I'd want to tell the whole world, not just the hundred or so people that you can invite to a wedding. I damn sure wouldn't go to this woman and say, I love you, you're beautiful, you're wonderful, you're exactly who I'm looking for, but man, I'm not telling my friends about you. Can you imagine? And ladies, if you find a man like that, you run away, just go. Like, he's not worth having. Jesus said, 
Therefore, everyone who confesses me before men, I will also confess him before my Father who is in heaven. But whoever denies me before men, I will also deny him before my Father who is in heaven. Jesus said in John, if anyone loves me, he will keep my word. If you love Christ because he saved your soul, then you will want to let everyone know about it. Obedience to Christ's command to be baptised is an initial way to confess that you love him. Amen? Last week we talked, Tim and I, we, we tag team, did you notice? We kind of talked about what was going to happen in 2020, what we believe God was talking about for our church in 2020. We called it prophetic vision. We called it the way forward. And one of those things was we talked about discipleship and hospitality. That's going to be the umbrella statement that we talk about all year. We know that we have some promises. For example, we know that we're going to speak to the rock. We know that the water's going to flow. And we know that we're going to give God all the glory. But that's under this umbrella of discipleship and hospitality. A very good friend of mine came to the end of the service who, who wasn't actually in the service and said, what, what did you say? I missed it. So I told them. And we got to the end. We got to this discipleship and hospitality. And she said to me, there's a lot in there about hospitality, but there's not a lot about discipleship. I said, wait till next week. So guess what we're going to talk about today? We're going to talk about discipleship. I wanted to give you a dictionary definition and then tell you why it's wrong. When I, when I googled this, never look at Wikipedia by the way, Wikipedia is not a good source of information, but the Oxford English Dictionary decided that discipleship was, could mean one of the 12 personal followers of Jesus, so the ones we hear about in the Bibles, so we call them disciples. Or it could be one of the 70 followers sent out by Christ in the Bible in Luke 10. It could be any other professed follower of Christ in his lifetime. Or it could mean any follower of Christ. All of those are absolutely right and absolutely wrong. Because they are right because they were all disciples, but they're wrong because they limit who can be a disciple. Because in here it doesn't say Ricky, it doesn't say me, it doesn't say you, or you, or you. So the final definition says a person who is a pupil or adherent, somebody who adheres to the doctrines of another. And that's wrong too, because that could be a football coach. A football coach could say, this is how you should lead your life, this is how you should view the world and view the universe. And technically he would be discipling you, but that is not the context in which we're talking. The only way to discover what discipleship is and looks like and why we want to talk about it so much. So again, lots of new people here today. We are a family church. So when we hear these noises in the background, we rejoice because we love our children, okay? I get it makes it hard for some of us to listen, but we are a family church, so we rejoice in those noises, okay? Parents, smile, be happy. I am. If anyone doesn't like it, well, tough. I don't care, literally. So we're going to take a little bit of time to look at what Jesus did with discipleship and how he did it and why he did it. Is that okay? And we're going to be doing this all the way up till probably the summer. So we're going to try not to squeeze too much in today. I made some notes for today and realised it was probably about six Sundays worth. So I didn't want to overbear you. I've narrowed it down. Let's start in Matthew's Gospel. So Matthew 3, 13 to 17. We're going to look at the very start of Jesus' life. I like the Gospel of Matthew. It was written for Jewish people. They understood a lot. So the first book of Matthew is literally Jesus' family tree. It says this is who Jesus was and this is where Jesus came from. 
And Jesus was the descendant of David. Who was the descendant of Abraham? Who was the descendant of Adam? And that would have meant something to Jewish people. It doesn't mean anything to me, and I don't expect it to mean anything to you. So we're not going to go through that book. But we're going to pick it up in Matthew 3. It said, Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptised by John. One of my catchphrases when I preach is, if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. So if there's anyone out there questioning whether you should be baptised or not, it's the first thing Jesus did. It's good enough for him. It's good enough for you. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptised by you. And you come to me. Jesus replied, let it be so now. It is proper for us to do this to fulfil righteousness. Then John said, okay. As soon as Jesus was baptised, he went up out of the water. And at that moment, heaven was opened. And he saw a spirit of God descending from like a dove and landing on him. And a voice from heaven said, this is my son, whom I love, with whom I am well pleased. Tom, I hope that happens next week for you, mate. I hope heaven's open and I hope God descends on you like a dove and says, Tom, you are my son and I am well pleased. Whether that happens physically or spiritually, I don't know, but that's my prayer for you. I want that to happen. But if it's good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for you. What did he do after he was baptised? He went to the desert. There's a really weird series of events here. If you think the saviour of all humankind is going to come riding on a horse or in his tank or with his mighty army and defeat all the evil people, the murderers and the, the rapists and the bank robbers and all those people, you're wrong. Because we know he came as a baby. And then he went through this real funny series of events and it's going to form part of how we talk about discipleship. So there is no denying that people are going to come to know Jesus in this church. And when I say church, I mean us. We're the people. I don't care if we're here or in the park or in the URC building or in Swanmead having a baptism. We are the church. So we are going to lead people to Christ. And the first thing we're going to ask them to do is be baptised. Because we want them to make that declaration. Because if it was good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for us. Then what did Jesus do? In Matthew 4, 1 to 11, it says, Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness, into the desert, to be tempted by the devil. After fasting... 40 days and 40 nights he was hungry the devil came to him and said if you are the son of God tell these stones to turn into bread Jesus answered it is written man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God then the devil took him to the holy city had him stand on the highest point of the temple and said if you are the son of God he said throw yourself off this building for it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in their hands, so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, said, it is also written, do not put your Lord, your God, to your test. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. He said, all of this I will give to you. He said, if you will bow down and worship me, Jesus said, away from me, Satan, for it is written, worship the Lord your God and serve him only. And then the devil left him alone. The angels came and looked after him. We're just about to embark on a week of prayer and fasting. I find there was a really weird chronological, that means like in timeline, in order, process to what we're doing. And it wasn't written because of this. This has become subsequent. 
So we're going to see people saved. We're going to see people baptised. And we are just about to encounter this week of fasting. For those of you who weren't here last week, we're going to start tomorrow. I want you to go online and listen to the recording. I don't want to repeat myself today, otherwise it will take another half an hour to get through what fasting is and why we do it and how we do it. But if you've got any questions, come speak to us at the end, but listen to the recording. God calls us to fast. Jesus, if it was good enough for him, it's good enough for me. I'm not going to fast for 40 days. I'm not Jesus. I wish I could. And if I could, I would do that. We have some doctors in the house. It's not a clever thing to do, right? There is a healthy way to fast, and there is a stupid way to fast. And that is a stupid way to fast. Unless you happen to be the physical embodiment of the Son of God himself, I wouldn't recommend fasting for 40 days. But he was tempted. There's seven sermons in there at least, but here's Jesus, who as soon as he was baptised, he fasted. Notice he didn't fast when he was in the desert. He fasted first and then went into the desert. So he took a moment to consecrate himself. Make himself ready before God. Stop. He took a moment to stop and reflect and to hand things over. And that's what we're going to do. We're going to distribute to you a prayer list this week. So every time you get hungry or every time you choose to... Uh, some people are just going to remove meat from their diet for the week. So they're still going to eat their carbs and their vegetables every day. They're just going to remove meat. Some people, the young people, we're not going to ask any children to fast or any elderly people or anybody who's sick. You might just choose to fast technology. You might say, this week I'm not going to watch EastEnders. Me, personally, I'm going to do some other stuff too. But one of the things I have decided to do is I'm just going to delete all of my games and all of my social media. Because actually that takes far more time, my time, than eating does. I'm going to fast as well. But that's between me and God. You don't need to know the details of all of that. But Jesus fasted to make himself ready. We as a church have decided that we are going to fast to make ourselves ready for this coming year. So we're going to pray about the building. We're going to pray about our standing orders. We're going to pray about the prophetic vision for the church. So every time you're fasting, maybe you're hungry, maybe you're tired. Maybe you just, you get like one of those hunger pangs. It's like a really good physical reminder that you're supposed to be doing something. Pray. Don't just pray for the hunger pang to go away because that's not the point. There's a list. We're going to pray for that. It says in Matthew 4, carrying on, that from that time Jesus began to preach. Repent for the kingdom of heaven has come near. That's all we seem to do at the moment. Then we're going to move on to discipleship. Jesus has come. We've just celebrated Christmas. Jesus has been baptised and he's fasted. He's made himself ready. He's also been tempted. I had a conversation, I'm not going to embarrass people by names, but somebody came to me, a new Christian came to me recently and said, I just have this mad, insane desire to go and just do all these things that I used to do. And I feel so guilty and so condemned. And am I not really saved? Am I not really a Christian because of these things? And I went, shut up. Me too. (laughs) I feel all those things all the time too. We're always going to be tempted. Temptation is a part of our life. It's a part of our DNA. We can pray against it, but we are going to be tempted. But as soon as he did those things, as soon as he was baptised, as soon as he was uh, fasted, as soon as he was tempted, he began to preach. And this is where it gets really exciting, and this is what we're going to talk about today. Is as Jesus was walking, he saw two brothers, one called Simon and one called Peter. Sorry, one called Simon, who he called Peter, and his brother Andrew. They were fishing. Jesus said to him, and considering how many words I've used today, this is overly simplistic. But Jesus said, come, follow me. That's all he said. Come, follow me. 
I'm going to make you fishers of men. Which, I'm not going to lie, doesn't make any sense to any of us. We know about it, some of us, because we're Christians, we've been to church for a hundred years. But rabbis, senior people in Jewish culture, when they wanted to train somebody, when they wanted to take on an apprentice, when they wanted to take on a trainee, or we might say disciple, the invitation was to say, come follow me. So when these two Jewish brothers heard the words, come follow me, that wasn't just a, come follow me, we're going to go get a bag of chips. Come follow me, we're going to go for a drink. Come follow me for the rest of the day. They knew that that was a lifelong commitment invitation to come follow me and be my disciple. Come and learn from me. Come and do things my way. And every child on this planet would ask the same question. Why? I used to be really annoying when I was a kid. Everything, why? Do the washing up, why? Eat, eat greens, why? Go to bed, why? Go to school, why? Why, 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 why? So he carries on to terms. So because I'm going to make you fishers of men. It is a wonderful idea that Jesus came to save you by name. And he did. Every single one of you, by individual, he came to save you. He came to save you. And I, as I have said a thousand times, and I will say it ten thousand more, he did that, but for a purpose. He came to save you, by grace, for a purpose. Come follow me. I will make you fishers of men. Fishers for people, actually, in this translation. How could we interpret that? It says, in two ways, come be my disciple, so that, and I'm doing that as a bit of a warm-up, okay? Because there's going to be a lady who's going to come preach to us in a few weeks' time called Helen Watts, and she has a wonderful thing, and she's bound to say it, don't tell her, just laugh when she does. She always preaches on this. So that, or when. It's like an adjoining word. It says, do this because. Come, be my follower, so that you can go and make more disciples. It's our literal one standing order. Is he is calling us to be his disciple so that we can call others to be his disciple. Now we get to do that too. Jesus kickstarted us. Did anybody notice how we sometimes become a disciple and we get baptized? Jesus was the only person who did it the other way around. He got baptized first and he was, he was the first disciple, wasn't he? There were disciples before Jesus, like John had disciples. And if you think about Elijah and Elisha in the Old Testament, you think all, all the way through the prophets, everyone had a disciple. But Jesus did it the other way around. Jesus got baptised first. And then he started to make disciples. But he was very, very clear with his disciples. Why? And I want to be very, very clear with you. Why? So that we can go and make more disciples. So you are going to become disciples of Jesus, if you're not already. It's your choice. I'm not going to make you. But you could. But if you do, we know why. So we can go make some more. We kind of learned what discipleship wasn't. Remember the dictionary definition at the start? Just one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. <clears throat> Did anybody know the word discipleship, discipleship doesn't appear in the Bible, but we use it in the church a lot. It's kind of a word that we've adopted. It's kind of a word that we've made up to explain a certain way of doing things. 
The world would use a different word. They would use training, or accountability, or line manager. I don't like that analogy. But it's someone that you can go to who's maybe not even older than you, but just someone who's more mature in the faith than you, somebody who's been on that journey before you, maybe someone who's been uh, in a certain area of your life before. And you get to invite them. This is the other way around. Jesus invited people to be his disciples. We're the other way around. We have to invite somebody to disciple us. If you don't know who, who, who is in this church or who could do that for you, we can help you do that. We might be able to point you in the right direction for people you might be comfortable with. Yes, some of that might include Bible study. Some of that might include, who do you call when you just need to have a cry? Who do you call when you just need to scream about something that's going on at work? Who do you call when you have a question about that thing Ricky said on Sunday that nobody understood? What do you do when the kid's driving you absolutely insane, even the adult kids, and you just need to talk to somebody? Who do you call? I'll give you an example. I don't mind sharing this, but with Tim and Sue, I've asked them to disciple me in any issue relating to romantic relationships. I am a single man. I am unmarried, okay? I'm in a church. I'm your I'm the church leader. That's fine. And in many ways, my discipler is Alan, the big guy on the telly. And I will call him if I have issues in the church. If I have issues in my heart or my own faith, he's the guy I call. But he's a long way away. So I have more than one person discipling me. We have some people in the church. We used to run a one-to-one thing, is that right? Before I came. That might be the answer. I'm also not into instructing people, telling people you have to have one or you have to have three or somebody here used to have to have 12, didn't they? Where's where's Vlad? In your old church, mate, didn't you have 12 disciples? Everyone had to have 12 disciples or something like that? He's not listening. We're not into instructing people like that. We're into making sure people feel supported, loved and cared for. You have to be careful who you ask. But we want to start doing that. We have discipleship. Some of that discipleship is going to happen from the front just like this. Some of that discipleship is going to happen through your small groups, your home groups. If you're not in a home group, I I really recommend you, you sign up to one. But into this season now, we're going to start talking about how do we make disciples within the church and how do we make disciples outside of the church. Most of my disciples, by the way, are outside of the church. People who follow me, like people like Anthony, he lives in America. We still call each other once a fortnight. I'm the person he chooses to ring when he has chaos. Alan is in the... India, America, Africa. He's in some other foreign country right now. That doesn't matter. Distance doesn't matter. But it might help here. We have somebody that's going to help you along your journey, help you answer questions, maybe actually challenge you on some of your thinking. But we are going to look about discipleship in terms of support, accountability. And I'm going to use a a naughty word now. Because in 2020, we don't like this word. It's all throughout the Bible. It's a mega theme of the Bible. It's called submission. Being able to submit something in your life to somebody else. If you are in financial chaos, you might be able to say to somebody who knows how to handle money, I want to be accountable to you with my money. I want you to ask me where I've spent my money. I want you to ask me where, how much money I have left. And that's called submission. You have to humble yourself sometimes. If it's a romantic relationship... You might get dragged out for a curry once a month and asked what you're doing about it and how things are and how you feel and bleh. But why do I ask for it? Because I know it's good for me. So I encourage you to do the same. I encourage you to think about discipleship. 
I read it to you out of Matthew uh, earlier on, the go and make disciples. And it's very much, he uses the word disciple in Matthew's gospel. And we interpret that as what we've just discussed then. Maybe not next week, but certainly one of my future sermons. We're going to be talking about the other interpretation, which comes from Luke, where it's far more talks about discipleship as in the conversion of people to Christianity. So sharing the gospel with people and seeing people saved. It forms part of discipleship too. But for this season, as we move forward, we want to see ourselves strengthened in the word, in our relationships, in our interpersonal skills, in the way we interact with one another, in our maturity, in our faith. So I want to see some more interactive discipleship. And it is not going to be hierarchical. Do you know that word? It's not going to start with me and I'm going to have three disciples and then they're going to have three disciples and then someone else is going to... It's not going to work like that. It's going to be more natural. So I want you this week to start thinking about who, uh, what areas of your life you need discipleship and who you might ask within the church to be your discipler. Okay? Bless you. Can I pray for us? Heavenly Father, I want to thank you for your words to us. I want to thank you that you have not called us into isolation, but you've called us into community for very reasons such as this. Reasons like discipleship, Lord, that we can look to our brothers and sisters, our mothers and our fathers and say, we need help. Lord, we want somebody to, to help us. We want somebody to teach us. We want somebody to hold us to account. Lord, we want to be that blessing to other people too. We want to be able to support people. We want to be able to coach people in the faith, Lord. And we do want to see people saved. So, Lord, speak to us through this word. It's a bit different to our normal sermons because it's an introduction to a teaching series. But, Jesus, we love you. We know that you can transform lives. We know that you can transform our lives. We thank you for what you've already done for us. Lord, actually, we take this moment again to pray for Shane and for his mum, Lisa. Lord, as they're still on that, that, that hospital, we haven't had an update for a little while. But, Lord, again, we pray strength and we pray healing. And we pray peace into that situation. Lord, we love you and we trust you. In Jesus' name, amen.